So, Rachel. Yeah. Returning to a planet last visited by an Earth ship 100 years earlier, the Enterprise finds a planet that has based its culture on the Chicago gangsters of the 1920s. Oh, whoa. So we're going to have machine guns. Yes. Full pinstripe trilby action. Mm -hmm. Some malls or dancers in the speakeasy will be the only women. Sure. McCoy might be into the moonshine and a mob (laughs) boss has to put a hit out on Kirk. (laughs) thinking him a rival. Oh, yeah. Will there be a police element? Mm-hmm. Maybe a light being as the police chief. <laughs> Kirk frees the boss's mall from his control. That's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, we'll see. Better than what we're going to get? No way. Rachel watches Star Trek. And welcome to our show. Yeah, it's a piece of the action, see? <laughs> I'm Rachel Lackey, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Chris Lackey, you know, just one of the guys. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Don't worry, you guys. We're not going to keep this up. No. Uh, This week, we are covering the original series Star Trek episode, A Piece of the Action. And I got to say, this one was an enjoyable one. I needed this. (laughs) (laughs) That gave me a real pre-Christmas boost. (laughs) Me too. I think we should just get into it. Let's do that. So responding to a distress signal, the USS Enterprise arrives on this planet, Sigma Iota 2. Sorority planet. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, It was visited by a Federation ship called the Horizon in 2168, which is just seven years after the establishment of Starfleet. Hmm. But this is also before, supposedly, they established their non-interference directive. So just to clarify, Uh they do have that directive now, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. They are aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, sort of. The Horizon was lost shortly after leaving Iota, so this was a century-old distress signal as the Horizon was only equipped with conventional radio. Oh, I like that. That's a cool concept that piqued my interest. They sent that signal out into the ether a hundred years ago. Yeah. Man, nobody ever picked it up. Nope, until recently. Yeah. Well, the thing is, with the later series... Enterprise. It takes place a hundred years before Star Trek, mm. the original series, and they do have some space. Oh. So I, I think that was kind retcon. of that's been a retcon kind of a thing that was going on. But anyhow, yes, I think it's a really cool idea to think that they were out so far and that they sent this message and it just has been floating around out there for a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. That's Ooh. very cool. Uhura informs Kirk that she has been contacted by an ocean named Bella Oxmix. Hang on a minute. How can the signal float around for a hundred years? Well, it doesn't. It's not floating around. It's just traveling through space. But it can't, can it? They can. Can it? Oh yeah, radio waves go through space. Just indefinitely. I'm not sure. That's a common sci-fi joke. I think there's an episode of Futurama where they were watching a show from our time and it took a thousand years for the message to get to that planet and the aliens were upset when the show got canceled so they came to Earth and they made them finish up the show. I think it was like Sassy Female Lawyer or something was the name of the show. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know radio waves can travel through space and I think there are things that will stop radio waves in space but generally they do go on and on. Whoa, man. It's pretty neat. Suck it, regular sound waves. 
<laughs> As I was saying, Uhura informs Kirk that she has been contacted by an Iotian named Bella Oxmix, who describes himself as boss. With an attitude of, we'll see who's the boss, Kirk has him on speakerphone. <laughs> Oxmix invites Kirk to come down, saying that a reception committee will be waiting for him. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are concerned about the effects the Horizons crew may have had on the Iotian culture. That's rich. <laughs> Uh, because they were just beginning industrialization at the time that they were visited by the horizon. We hear that the Iotians have a knack for imitation. The three beam down and find the culture resembling that of Chicago in the 1920s, and they are immediately greeted by two gangsters who are pointing Tommy guns at them. Everyone has guns. Yeah. (laughs) Machine guns for the men, handguns for the women, all waltzing around like they own the place. From Wikipedia, the Thompson submachine gun was invented by John T. Thompson in 1918. It became infamous during the Prohibition era, being a signature weapon of various crime syndicates in the United States. 600 plus rounds per minute, 10 per second. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty deadly machine. It is still. I mean, they still have Tommy guns. I like it best in Bugsy Malone when they squirt out cream or whatever it is. Foam. <laughs> so Kirk and the gang surrender their phasers and communicators. Can't we get some hidden tech that they don't have to surrender? Even Bond had that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They make themselves so vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I'll, we'll give you everything that we have, even though you don't know we've got communicators. Get a watch with phaser in it. Come on. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's you've got a very good point there, actually. Suddenly, a drive-by shooting occurs. The gang jump for cover and look on Riley as though, so that's how it is on your planet. (laughs) (laughs) One of the gunmen is killed, and the other says the hit was put out by someone named Krakow. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are taken to Oxmix's office, where they learn that he is one of a dozen or so bosses. Oxmix has the largest territory on Iosha, but would like to control it all. So Spock starts fingering a big book on a stand. It's Chicago Mobs of the 1920s. Ox makes his protective of the book and informs them it was left by the crew of the Horizon along with some manuals. But why? <laughs> Maybe somebody was reading it for fun? I guess. I guess. So Kirk and company realize that the entire Iotian culture has been based on this book. So Oxmick calls them feds, which I thought was pretty good because of the Federation. Oh, right. I didn't yeah. even think. And tells them that he wants the Enterprise to give him heaters so that he can take control of the planet. Uh, they have eight hours to provide the weapons or they will be killed. Why eight hours? In case they need to make some more. I guess there's some preparations or they got to make, I don't know. Mm. That's just That's what they always do. Yeah. yeah. Eight hours. So Oxpick sends them to a warehouse under guard. He then takes one of the confiscated communicators and contacts the Enterprise. This scene was really well played by Scotty. Baffled, professional, careful (laughs) with this guy who's suddenly calling in on Kirk's communicator talking about heaters. (laughs) (laughs) So Oxmix threatens to kill Kirk's Bach McCoy unless he gets 100 phasers, which he calls heaters, and troops to show him how to use them. In the warehouse, the gunmen are playing cards. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are thinking it all through. Spock reasons that although Oxmix's methods are deplorable, his goal of unification is what the Enterprise crew must also work for. Otherwise, Iotian society will break down completely into anarchy. With blissful disregard for his own history here, Kirk is sure that since a Federation vessel contaminated the culture, it's the Enterprise's responsibility to set things right. He distracts one of the gunmen named Callow with a nonsensical, non-existent card game, supposedly from Beta Antares 4, called Fizbin, which he makes up as he goes along. It's pretty entertaining. Callow's so eager to learn. He's getting super into all these ridiculous rules. (laughs) 
Kirk drops a card and smacks Caleb upside the head when he bends to collect it. They escape after a little bit of a fight. Kirk grabs one of the Tommy guns and tells Spock and McCoy to find the local radio station, contact the ship, and have themselves beamed aboard. Is that how Oxmix contacted them at the start from the radio station? Yes. Mm, I like that. Kirk plans to capture Oxmix and bring him back to the Enterprise, but he is greeted by a new gunman named Zabo and is taken to the office of Jojo Cracko, another boss who wants control. And this guy is played by Vic Tabeck, mm. who is Mel from Mel's Diner on the popular sitcom Alice. Right, okay. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. No, I've never heard of it. You've never seen Alice? No. With Flo? Kiss my grits. <laughs> she was like one of the first sitcom characters to have a catchphrase. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Why did she want people to kiss her grits? Well, it was like, you know. Kiss my bum. It was a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of his gang have straw boaters instead of fedoras. Kurt gets massaged by a silent lady in a mustard dress. <laughs> Has Krakow been listening in on some device? He has Oxmix's office bugged, so he knows what's going on. Yeah, because he also wants a bunch of heaters. Kirk refuses and is sent to a cell. So Spock and McCoy find the radio station. Spock takes out the station's operator with a Vulcan nerve pinch. Very tenderly, as usual. Even gets a compliment from McCoy about it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and they contact Uhura and return to the ship. Oxmix contacts the ship through a stolen communicator and informs Spock that Krakow has kidnapped Kirk. He offers assistance in getting Kirk back if Spock and McCoy will come back down. Spock isn't sure to trust Oxmix, but decides to follow the plan rather than use force. Kirk rigs a trip line across the doorway using wire from a radio, and then he yells out for help. A gunman comes running in and falls over the trip line, and Kirk knocks him out. <laughs> <laughs> Another rushes in, and Kirk kind of wrestles the guy's coat over his face for ages and escapes with a machine gun. He's so good at coming up with these tricks. Yeah. Like you said, their technology was useless to him at that point, so he had to rely on some good old-fashioned strategy. Yeah. So Spock instructs Scott to set one of the ship's phaser banks to stun, which I didn't know was something that the ship's phasers Whoa. can fire, like, broad stunning beams. Yeah, they should have been using that a lot more often. Yeah, I don't know if that even happens later on in Star Trek at all, because I'm starting to wonder a lot of the plots might have been able to be resolved if they were able to just stun <laughs> yeah. from orbit. Absolutely. Spock and McCoy then beam down to Oxmix's office, where they are again met by guns in their faces. Of course. <laughs> ship's log, Mr. Spock reporting. Incredible as it seems, Dr. McCoy and I are once again prisoners of the chief criminal boss of a society patterned after old Earth gangsters. Pick up many more of these, I won't need your cooperation. Mr. Oxmix, I understood we had an arrangement. A truce. I was hoping you'd think that, dummy. So Oxmix has taken the prisoner again, but Kirk arrives to the rescue. Kirk's starting to act more like a mobster now, and he's getting the swagger and the accent. He sort of. So <laughs> he makes the gunmen take their clothes off, and he says he'll put the bag on Krakow. Is that kidnap? Yeah. Kirk and Spock put the clothes on and steal a car. They have to work out how to drive it, and then they smash backwards into something and kangaroo and bang along the road. But what is going on with Kirk's hat and it's, suit? Yeah, it's he's got a fuzzy fedora. Yeah, kind of an Angora fedora. Yeah, that's really bizarre. It's quite big as well. It looks quite pimpish. Is that something that was in the 1920s? You, you know fashion. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but his suit looks like it's been shortened. They must have just bought one suit, had this taller guy wear it. And then mm. when it was Kirk's turn to wear it, they've kind of hemmed the jacket and moved the buttons up. But it looks really odd. Now, also, I thought that double-breasted suits were more of a 1930s thing and less of a 1920s thing. They usually have them in gangster films when it, when they're doing 20s, but I don't know yeah. what the accurate thing is. You're useless. Ah. 
Kirk and Spock are assisted by a small boy, the one with the knife, who's just going, yeah, yeah, like pretending to stab stuff. (laughs) And the kid wants a piece of the action for his help. I enjoyed the on the nose title this week. (laughs) (laughs) So the boy poses as Kirk's son and he goes up to the guards pretending to be injured. After first brandishing a knife at them for ages. (laughs) And they're like, oh, ha, 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 cute little guy. Just how it is in their culture. (laughs) So Kirk and Spock go up to help his son, but then they just punch the guys out and Mm. they get inside. So they get into Krakow's headquarters and they're in control for a whole 10 seconds (laughs) until click somebody has a gun pointed at their backs. Why are they so bad at this? (laughs) Everyone is armed. Get against a wall and keep looking around you. Well, you know what I think it is? This fits with the world setting. Mm. They're not used to this kind of high stress environment. Yeah. And well, and these you guys would pretty quickly adapt to the fact that everybody's got a gun and, and is untrustworthy. But the thing is, these guys have been living in this world for hundreds of years. So they grew up knowing people are always going to stab you in the back and also how to trick people. So I think it makes sense in the setting that these guys are really good at this type of stuff. So Kirk and Spock walk in and they feel like, oh, we know what we're doing. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I know what you're saying, but they have been captured a lot, well, haven't they, by now? I'm just saying. And they're breaking into a mob boss's headquarters. Sure. Go in there with some adrenaline and some caution, wouldn't you, surely? Sure. And they thought they had it under control because they had the guns. They had the guy dead to rights right there. But then... Mm-hmm. I'm calling the bullshit. I thought it was cool and it made sense to me. Kirk announces the Federation is taking over and arranges via Scotty to have Krakow beamed up to the Enterprise to show him what he's up against. They win a fight with Krakow's men and then they head to Oxmix's office. Kirk, now standing on a pool table and talking in full hammy mobster lingo, has Scott locate and transport the other bosses, including Krakow. Now the Federation's taking over, whether you like it or not. You people, you've been running this planet like a piecework factory. From now on, it's going to be under one roof. You're going to run it like a like a business, and that means you're going to make a profit. Yeah. Now what's your percentage? I'm cutting the Federation in for forty percent. You got any objections? A boss called Teppo is transported in, but before more are located, they start arguing and Teppo suggests there are no more people on the Enterprise. There's only three feds that they've ever seen. So on the street below, Krakow's men start a gunfight in an attempt to rescue Krakow. The landing party's guns are taken once again, and Kirk has the ship stun the surrounding area to demonstrate their power. They all hang out of the window and look, and the mobsters agree to Federation control. Kirk as the boss. Of course. He's the alpha and he has the silliest hat and biggest weapon. <laughs> but no, Kirk doesn't want the job and decides on Oxmix as the top boss and Krakow as his lieutenant. They call the new structure a syndicate. They agree to his proposed 40% cut of the action. What action? Moonshine, extortion and protection money? I get just whatever their GDP is. What I mean, they've got to produce food. I mean, they've got an economy. It's just... Mm, And they are the government. They are the government. So whatever they make, they've got to skim 40% off for the Federation. So they've done Chicago in the 20s, but only the mob. Yeah. No police force. No. no. Nothing. Yeah, the mob rules everything. Yeah. So back aboard the ship, Spock is concerned about the Federation taking a 40% cut of the planet's (laughs) action. Kirk is like, I hadn't thought about that. (laughs) He got so into character, he forgot all his morals. (laughs) But he decides that the money will go back into the planet's treasury to help the Federation guide the Iotians into a more ethical society. 
Spock has his doubts about the logic behind Kirk's plan. Yeah, how will that work? <laughs> Who has control of the treasury? Oxmix, surely. Yeah. So he'll do what he wants. How will the Federation guide them? No one's been there for 100 years. Well, I'm guessing that it's going to be that other, you know, the cleanup crew that comes mm, in and yeah. actually has to deal with everything. <laughs> I'd like to see that. The show. administrators that roll in and go, okay, Ooh, what did Kirk do again. now? So McCoy is also concerned because he seems to have left his communicator behind somewhere oh. in Oxmix's office. All right, Bones, in the language of the planet, what's your beef? Well, I don't know how serious this is, Jim. And I don't quite know how to tell you. Well, go ahead. But in all the confusion, I... Tell me. I think I left it in Bella's office. You left it? Somewhere. I'm not certain. You're not certain of what? I left my communicator. In Bella's office? Captain. If the Iotians, who are very bright and imitative people, should take that communicator apart... They will, they will, and they'll find out how the translator works. The translator is the basis for every important piece of equipment we have. You really think it's such serious? Serious. Serious, Bones. It upsets the whole percentage. How do you mean? Well, in a few years, the Iotians may demand a piece of our action. Freeze frame. Freeze frame. This is the only episode that ends with the freeze frame. <laughs> High jinks indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to go back and get it, surely. But why will a translator be a particular problem? It's advanced technology. They'll mm. take it apart, figure out how it works, and then emulate it or reproduce it. And then these Iotians will have advanced tech. Mm. Eh, and I, become more advanced as a result? Maybe societally they'll become more advanced. I'm concerned about them just kind of leaving. <laughs> they don't say a cleanup crew's coming up to no. administrate all this stuff. They uh, say the Federation's checking in. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. So concepts. I like the 100-year-old distress signal. Yes. The Federation meddled so we can justify meddling again to rectify it. And that and that's new to this episode, I think. Yeah. There was a common goal with Oxmix to unify under one leader. But an arbitrary decision to make him the boss, I thought, yeah. and his enemy, his lieutenant, and the other guy, Zilch. Yeah. That's not going to work out <laughs> suddenly, is it? Well, I mean, if they're afraid of the Federation enough to just do what they're told, then mm-hmm. it should keep them in line, I guess. Goodness. I'm surprised they were even so harmonious in the same room as each other. These are rival mobs who've been killing off each other. Kirk trying to act more mobster than them to gain their cooperation was <laughs> You know what I liked about it, too, is it felt like Shatner was doing Kirk doing a mobster. Yeah, hearing it for the first time. Yeah, because Kirk he was kind of clumsy with it and kind of yeah. said weird things. It built, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because he learned and more. I'm sure Shatner could have easily done a much yeah. more impressive mobster thing. So it, it, it was funny, It lad. was really funny, yeah. yeah. Having to prove the ship's power by stunning everyone on the block. Yeah. Modeling a whole society on something left behind. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm. That's a neat idea. Are the concepts sci-fi enough for you or could this be a tribe? Oh, no. This is definitely a a sci-fi kind of thing, Mm. especially having 100 years of growth, supposedly, that they were able to emulate the civilization. I mean, it's a bit preposterous that they were able to get like all the brickwork and the buildings (laughs) and the clothes and everything identical to the 1920s. But it's still really neat. Conceptually, I I thought it was was really good, a good sci-fi idea. Yeah. Could that not happen then if there was... A remote, say on Earth, there was a remote society who'd got to an industrial level who then were left with this book. Yeah, but do societies exist for 100 years on Earth without anybody figuring out that they're there? Yeah. Yeah. Earth's not that big. So, yeah, I think it has to be sci fi. I think it has to be sci fi. But if they can stun everyone on the block, couldn't they lure everyone outside and just stun them all and then collect Kirk and wake him up on the ship? 
or beam someone in who has a stunning device that can be activated remotely and then beam them back up stunned. Wow. I love the way that you're thinking right now. It's so sexy. <laughs> Solve so, many- uh, so many problems. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are so many uses of technology and that's kind of one of those suspension of disbeliefs you have to do because with the technology that they introduce on Star Trek, we've had this conversation about medicine. And if they've got mm-hmm. a transporter, then there should be no illness or mm-hmm. injury at all. Yeah. So there's applications. If you think about it, it's like, well, we, we have all this technology. What can we do in this particular circumstance? You have a little bit more time maybe than the writers had to mm-hmm. come up with these ideas. But or, it's also because they need to disable them in order to make a story, isn't it? Like in a right. horror film, the mobile phone doesn't work. Sure. But I think also, too, Kirk, within this story, I think Kirk wants to them to change so Mm. by just stunning everybody is not going to do that he's got to convince them hearts and minds Mm, if you will true Uh, he's just showing his power but he wants them to see the power yeah he doesn't want to just be rescued he wants changed yeah yeah Yeah. okay i think fair enough solve that one so gene ronberry had an idea for this episode back in 1964 but was basically just president capone was Mm. kind of the note that he wrote uh george johnson wrote an outline for a script for the first season called the syndicate and then he wrote another a treatment as well called Chicago Number no. 2. You know, I.I. Chicago 2. So mm. it's like the second version of Chicago. Yeah. But Kuhn thought that since Trouble with Triples was a hit, they needed more comedy in the show. Agreed. I totally agree. Go, go Gene. Go uh, Gene 2. Gene 2, man. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> David Harmon and Kuhn wrote the first draft together. In that one, the Romulans were there trying to make a treaty with Oxmix. Oh. So it was kind of a bit of the Friday's Child thing that going on. too many elements. Exactly. No, this was perfect. I'm so glad they cut it all out. I like that the Ioceans were all about being tough and killing and Kirk and the Enterprise were insanely more powerful, but they had to play it safe as not to mess up their culture any more than it already was. Mm. I, I, I like that where kind of Kirk had the superiority, but it wasn't doing him any good. But, tech- but he couldn't contact his ship, so he couldn't utilize any of that. For right, most yeah, of it. at certain points. But when they come rolling in there, he was just like, oh, these silly little primitives. And mm. then he kind of got outsmarted a bit. And I have to say, I love it when Kirk makes mistakes because it mm. makes him much more relatable and likable. Yeah. Makes more interesting story because a lot of times it's just he's so clever and he's so awesome that he can solve any problem and it's like, eh, whatever. But this... I enjoy that too. (laughs) (laughs) Swaggering around. But this was, you know, like when he was trying to drive the car. Yeah. He doesn't know how to drive a car. It was awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it was great. Yeah. For concepts, I give it a seven. Yeah. I I think I'll go for an eight, actually. Whoa. All right. Entertainment. Lots of fighting and nerve pinching. Mm Mm-hmm. Kirk getting increasingly hammy and using the lingo. Spock not getting it, the lingo, and then eventually kind of coming around to going along with it. Yeah. Kirk's hat and driving. The boss's top-notch performances. Mm-hmm. Various degrees of subtlety, all of which I enjoyed. Yeah. Scotty not understanding Kirk trying to show off in mob speak, <laughs> but still trying to help as much as he could. I give it an eight. Yeah, it was really well paced. It was funny. It was interesting. Lots of good action. It was mm. a little bit silly, but in a good way. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to give it an eight. Yeah, solid I one. I think it was really entertaining. Uh, sexiness. Krakow's mall massaging Kirk was all right. Uhura <laughs> being on screen, but not doing much. <laughs> Women sassing around with guns. Yeah. Kirk's hat and weird short suit took it down a bit. Oh. Kirk's pacing and confidence back up five. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's pretty... Uh, 
in the middle mm-hmm. for sexiness of Star Trek. So I would say five as well. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I thought this was a really fun episode and I'm so excited to be doing this show again with you. I'm glad that you've got a little bit more pep and vigor in your step after <laughs> yeah, watching this one. Yeah. yeah. So the next episode is the immunity syndrome. Hmm. That's uh, got to involve McCoy quite heavily, I imagine. Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Okay. I want to thank everybody for supporting the show without our Patreon supporters. Rachel, I wouldn't keep doing this. No, we wouldn't be able to. So thank you all very much. And if you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash Rachel Watches Star Trek. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!